Hi, my name is Allison Levy, and you're listening to Hope Behind Bars, Episode 1, covering juvenile justice. To understand juvenile delinquency, you have to understand the school-to-prison pipeline. The school-to-prison pipeline is a national trend where students are funneled out of school into the prison systems. Nearly 40% of people serving the longest prison terms were incarcerated before the age of 25. But this isn't new. In the 1960s, Lyndon B. Johnson declared the war on crime. His goal was to target areas of poverty and high crime rates. Special law enforcement programs were created for these low-income areas, but this new system increased the chance of the men and women of these communities to have longer prison sentences than those of the same crime in richer neighborhoods. This correlates to the education system because with less funded schools, performance rates lowered and therefore brought on zero-tolerance policies. These zero-tolerance policies created harsher punishments for students and brought police officers to the schools, causing school-based arrests. Talking back to teachers, skipping class, or being disruptive to the environment in general. At other schools, this might have just been a trip to the principal's office, but at schools where the school administration can rely on police standing outside, this was an easy arrest, and it still is. Not only is this school-to-prison pipeline affecting students' lives, but affecting our society as a whole. These students feel like they can't succeed or move on with their lives. However, an organization in the Bay Area is trying to change that. Fresh Lifelines for Youth, or FLY, is an organization preventing juvenile crime and incarceration through legal education, leadership training, and one-on-one mentoring. Their goal is to interrupt the school-to-prison pipeline and help youth on their way to a healthy and productive life. FLY serves more than 2,000 youth, ages 11 to 24, who are at a greater risk of violence and incarceration due to poverty, racism, immigration discrimination, and other forms of marginalization. I wanted to learn more about FLY and how it started, so I decided to sit down and have a conversation with Krista Gannon, the CEO and founder of FLY. Hi, However, with all this impressive work at FLY, this isn't exactly what she planned to do with her life. I actually thought I was going to be a trial attorney or a judge. Um, I wanted to get into criminal justice because my best friend when I was 16 was raped. And I was really adamant and believed I needed to do something to make the world a safer place. And so I got roped into volunteering. (laughs) So I was assigned the maximum security unit in a juvenile hall. Um, and was told, you know, here you go, like here's a little strip of paper about the Fourth Amendment and go in and for an hour you're going to work with these kids. I have hardly any training and I'm sitting there and in come these young men and I'm thinking, I'm a white girl from the suburbs, like I have no right being here, like who am I to be helpful? Um, this is a really bad idea. And I was a college basketball player before I went to law school. And it was the time when Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen were having their huge run. And the Bulls stadium was right down the street from Chicago's Juvenile Hall. So I said, hey, like, I don't know much about the law, but do you want to talk about hoops? And they're like, yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> um, and then over time, I, I would just learn about the law, learn about the law and come in and teach them. And I, it changed my life, Allison. It changed my life. 
And some of them were looking at 10 years, 20 years, and many of them life in prison. And over and over and over again, their statements to me would start with, if only, if only someone had cared about me, if only I had known how much trouble I could get into. If only someone had given me a chance, I wouldn't be here. Those words struck me. If only those people had been given a chance. Well, that's what flies for. So I started a volunteer program. And what we were finding was that it was totally bringing kids together. Like I'd have rival gang members sharing confidential information with each other, encouraging each other. And what they would say to me is like, well, we realize we're not that different. And they said three things, teach kids about the law, give kids mentors and give kids a chance to give back to their community. Because once we're labeled as juvenile delinquents, everybody writes us off. As Krista Gannon informed me on the juveniles' positions, whether it be hiring new staff or making other changes, she said a line that stuck out to me. People closest to the pain are closest to the solutions. This is one of the key reasons why Fly is so successful. They use lived experiences to help others. As she said this, she brought up an interesting point. Which juveniles have lived through these experiences? You know, very candidly, you know, white kids living in good neighborhoods, going to good schools, might be engaging in a lot of the same behavior, but they're not going to juvenile hall or being picked up by police, mm -hmm. right? So what we have to understand is that disproportionately the juvenile justice system impacts kids of color. So 80% of kids that are incarcerated in, in the Bay Area are kids of color. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and the thing to think about and to know too is here in the Bay Area, we're like, you know, we're very progressive. We're seen as being a really thoughtful, you know, caring community. Our black kids are 16 times more likely than their white peers to be incarcerated. What we also know, what the research tells us is for kids that end up in the juvenile justice system, over 90% will say, listen, I don't feel like I have meaningful access to positive adult role models. 80% mm -hmm. will say, I don't know how to solve problems without violence or crime because in my community, like that's how you survive. And 80% have experienced significant trauma. And by trauma, I mean, they've seen friends or family members killed. They've been abused. Um, they've been assaulted. So all of those things, so the, the systematic factors um, and, and how that impacts young people, the trauma they've experienced can really then put them in a situation where they're incredibly vulnerable to be in the school to prison pipeline. After listening to these staggering statistics, my one question for her was, how can this be solved? So I really wish the public knew that our kids can change. I wish our public had more empathy that if we were in the conditions that most kids in the juvenile justice system find themselves in and the choices that they make, that they're not bad people. Um, they're, they might have made choices that we don't understand, but then they're also in a system that is kind of built on systemic racism that then gets really hard for them to get out. The biggest thing I would say is that one person can make all the difference. Mm -hmm. So when a young person has an advocate, a cheerleader, a mentor, a positive force in their life, a person who can be there to say, yeah, that wasn't your best effort, or yeah, that wasn't the best decision, but you're not a bad person, that was a bad choice. Let me help you, let me help you believe in yourself so then you can make a better choice, right? I mean, I think it's what all teenagers need. All teenagers need someone to be there to help them, to guide them, to direct them but most importantly, to believe in them. Thank you for listening. That was Hope Behind Bars, episode one.